Section 4 of Dedications. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Stevens. Dedications by Mary Elizabeth Brown. Section 4. To Royalty. Ludus Secorum by J. de Cecily. 1360. French translation by Jean de Vigne. Prologue. To the right noble and excellent Prince John of France, Duke of Normandy and Auvergne, son of Philip by the grace of God, King of France, Friar John of Vigne, your humble monk, along with the rest of your servants, wishes you peace, holy joy, and victory over your foes. Beloved and redoubtable Lord, inasmuch as I have heard, and I am convinced that you gladly see and hear things profitable and honourable, and which may tend to the establishment of good manners, I have done into French from the Latin a little book which came recently into my hand, where diverse testimonies and sayings of doctors and philosophers and poets and ancient sages are recounted and applied to the morality of nobles and commons in accordance with the game of chess, which book, most puissant and most redoubtable lord i have done in the name and under the shadow of yourself for the which thing beloved sir i beseech and beg you out of the goodness of your heart that you deign to receive this book in good part as from a greater master than myself of my fond endeavour to do what i can to do the best of my ability ought to be imputed to me for the deed and in order more clearly to proceed in this work I have ordained that the chapters of the book be written out and set at the beginning, that the reader may more plainly see the material whereof the said book treats. Textbook of Arithmetic by Rolandus, 1424 To the most illustrious and most serene prince, the most dread lord, the Lord John, paternal uncle of our lord, the King of France and England, regent of the realm of France, Duke of Bedford, Rolando of Lisbon, physician to the writer of your highness, has written in fulfilment of his oath. Most famous prince, under whose happy dukedom all France happily increases, with a certain high consent of the people, as beseems a prince ruling righteously, in you charity burns within, piety gleams without, and science sheds its rays both ways. Who purer in feeling? Who more abundant in well-doing? Who more certain in clearness of counsel? I say, weighing my meaning, that you spend your treasures as you might scatter ashes. You immolate yourself as a sacrifice in incessant labours, in order that you might prepare peace for the subjects of our Lord, the King of France and England, and might as Duke lead the realm of France far from the storms of war. By a divine arrangement you were deputed to the rule of the realm, to the general satisfaction at a time when all hope of human counsel had failed, nor has any lapse of human faith leavened your most dread dominion. It is to be hoped that, by your rule of peace, the realms of France and England may receive their liberty. It certainly has deserved such results. Let France, then, leap for joy, let England hold high festival, let Normandy be glad, let all Gaul sing psalms, because it receives by the good providence of God that governor who lightens everybody's burdens and succours his needs. Such things certainly the due emotion of your piety merits, 
and under the shade of your rule the thirsty may drain the waters of the sciences. Those who, even now, under the security of that rule, are crowding from all quarters of the world into the noble University of Paris to preach, methinks, the greatness of your glorious idea that the sounds of the shouters are re-echoed to your highness from the uttermost distances of the earth. Now, everywhere, men of letters are hastening to come and drink abounding cups. You have raised philosophy from the dust, which used to mourn in the poverty of its beggarhood. Now mathematics rises up before the gaze of your serenity, with unveiled face, which, in her straitened circumstances, she from bashfulness had covered with her cloak. She, tender, modest, girdled, and frisky, had preferred a bruised side to entering presently the University of Paris without a safe conduct. Then to you she came in confidence. Now she returns joyful, since she sees herself summoned, not as to an alien's domicile, but to her own home. But since the study of philosophy is forced to take up the natures of numbers and curious investigations into natural things, on this account it has pleased your highness to enjoin and command me, although unworthy and insufficient, to collect in one volume both the theoretical and the practical parts of that art of arithmetic, by gathering the dicta both of the ancients and of the moderns. Surely, dread lord, although my slender learning cannot rightly fulfil this mandate, as is fitting for so great a science, yet, because I can truly say that by the grace of my lord, the lord regent, I am what I am, and lest the grace of so great a lord should remain unrequited for the benefit I have received of a prebend from the chapel of the royal palace of Paris, now solicitous to offer what good will I can to the honour of your majesty, especially since you have promised your aid, and insist on my performance of the task. I feel the great part you have in it, so that, if it contains anything blameworthy, you have to acknowledge it no less for yourself than for me, for you knew to whom you assigned the charge. Again, if it contains anything useful to you, that also is to be ascribed, for the possession is yours, and the work is yours. What arithmeticians have thought, I quote as much as I can, by faithfully compiling and by submitting myself to the correction of your highness. And if any persons have wished to backbite me, first in their demonstrations, let them backbite Euclid, Bacchius, Leonardo Filius Bonacci, Companus and Jordanus, Nemorarius. The conclusions of the irrefragible demonstrations of these doctors are fundamentally solid, so as not to carry the impression of a biting tooth, though it had an adamantine hardness. Let the critic, then, embrace what is bitten, at least, from the impossibility of that effect, though he be not used to embrace it for the effect of truth, and let him study to offer your highness greater things, since in treasures of philosophy he calls himself the richer. Of what sort, then, is this work to be, and what is its utility for thinking men? It is now time to see. This book, written in Latin in 1424, at the command of John of Lancaster, has been entirely unknown to the historians of mathematics. Not a single copy, except that belonging to Mr. George A. Plimpton of New York, has ever been brought to notice. Godfrey of Boulogne, or the Siege and Conquest of Jerusalem, translated from the French by William Caxton, and printed in 1481. 
Caxton's prologue contains the following dedication to King Edward IV. Then to him, my most drad natural and sovereign lord, I dress this simple and rude book, beseeching his most bounteous and abundant grace to receive it of me, his indign and humble subject, William Caxton, and to pardon me so presuming, beseeching Almighty God that this said book may encourage, move, and inflame the hearts of some noble men, that by the same the miscreants may be resisted and put to rebuke, Christian faith increased and enhanced, and the holy land, with the blessed sight of Jerusalem, recovered, and may come again to Christian men's hands. The works of Geoffrey Chaucer, newly printed with diverse works which were never in print before. The first collected edition of Chaucer's works, printed by William Thine, chief clerk of the kitchen to Henry VIII in 1532. The preface, with the following dedication to Henry VIII, was written by Thine's friends, Sir Brian Tuke. To the King's Highness, my most gracious sovereign, Lord, Henry VIII, by the grace of God, King of England and of France, Defensor of the Faith and Lord of Ireland, etc. Among all other excellences, most gracious Sovereign Lord, wherewith Almighty God hath endowed mankind above the residue of earthly creatures as an outward declaration of reason or reasonableness, wherein consisteth the similitude of man unto angels, and the difference between the same and brute beasts, I verily suppose that speech or language is not to be reputed amongst the smallest or inferiors. Then follows a discussion of the virtues of various languages, and of the efforts to beautify their tongue made by Englishmen, especially the noble and famous clerk Geoffrey Chaucer. The copies of Chaucer's works are, however, in a very corrupt state. The writer goes on, I thought it in manner appurtenant unto my duty, and that of very honesty and love to my country, I ought no less to do, than to put my helping hand to the restoration, and bring again to light of the said works, after the true copies and exemplaries aforesaid. And devising with myself, who of all other were most worthy to whom a thing so excellent and notable should be dedicate, which to my conceit seemeth for the admiration, novelty, and strangeness that it might be reputed to be of in the time of the author, in comparison as a pure and fine tried precious and polished jewel out of a rude or indigest mass or matter, none could to my thinking occur that sins or in the time of Chaucer was or is sufficient, but only your majesty royal, which by discretion and judgment as most absolute in wisdom and all kinds of doctrine could, and of his innate clements and goodness, would add or give any authority hereunto. Most gracious, victorious, and of God most elect, and worthy prince, my most drad sovereign lord, in whom of the very merit, duty, and succession is renewed, the glorious title of defensor of the Christian faith, which by your noble progenitor, the great Constantine, sometime king of this realm, and Emperor of Rome, was next God, and his apostles chiefly maintained, corroborate and defended, Almighty Jesu, send to your Highness the continual and everlasting abundance of his infinite grace. Amen.
The History of the Wyatt's Rebellion, with the order and manner of resisting the same, etc., made and compiled by John Proctor, 1554. To the most excellent and virtuous lady, our most gracious sovereign, Mary, by the grace of God, Queen of England, France, Naples, Jerusalem, and Ireland, Defender of the Faith, Princess of Spain and Sicily, Archduchess of Austria, Duchess of Milan, Burgundy, and Brabant, Countess of Habsburg, Flanders, and Tyrol, Your Majesty's most faithful, loving, and obedient subject, John Proctor, wisheth all grace, long peace, quiet reign from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It has been allowed, most gracious Sovereign, for a necessary policy in all ages, as stories do witness, that the flagitious enterprises of the wicked, which have at any time attempted with traitorous force to subvert or alter the public state of their countries, as also the wise and virtuous policies of the good practised to preserve the common weal and to repel the enemies of the same, should by writing be committed to eternal memory, etc., etc. The dedication continues through two more pages. The First and Second Parts of the Herbal by Dr. William Turner, 1568 To the most noble and learned princess in all kinds of good learning, Queen Elizabeth, the printer hath given me warning there wanted nothing to the setting out of my whole herbal, saving only a preface wherein I might require some both mighty and learned patron to defend my labours against spiteful and envious enemies, to all menace doings saving their own, and declare my good mind to him that I am bound unto by dedicating and giving these poor labours unto him. I did seek out everywhere in my mind how that I could come by such a patron as have both learning and sufficient authority, joined therewith to defend my poor labours against their adversaries, and in the same person such friendship and goodwill toward me, by reason whereof I am most bound unto above all other. After long turning this matter over in my mind, it came to my memory that in all the whole realm of England that there were none more fit to be patroness of my book, and none had deserved so much to whom I should dedicate, and give the same as your most excellent sublimity hath done. I have dedicated it, therefore, unto your most excellent sublimity, and do give it for the avoiding of all suspicion and ingratitude, or unkindness unto you, as a token and a witness of the acknowledging of the great benefits that I have received of your princely liberality of late years. As for the supremacy of your power, might and authority in this realm, there are none that will deny it, saving only the bewitched hypocrites and bound men of the spiritual Babylon. As for your knowledge in the Latin tongue, eighteen years ago or more, I had in the Duke of Somerset's house, being his physician at the time, a good trial thereof, when, as it pleased your grace to speak Latin unto me, for although I have both in England, low and high German, and other places of my long travail and pilgrimage, never spake with any noble or gentlewoman that spake so well and so much congru, fine and pure Latin, as your grace did unto me so long ago. Since which time how much and wonderfully ye have proceeded in the knowledge of the Latin tongue, and also profited in the Greek, French, and Italian tongues, 
and others also, and in all parts of philosophy and good learning, not only your own faithful subjects, being far from all suspicion of flattery, bear witness, but also strangers, men of great learning, in their books set out in the Latin tongue, give honourable testimony. Wherefore your majesty hath largely deserved to have a great deal worthier gift, for the greatness and manifoldness of the benefits that you have bestowed upon me, your poor subject. But although, even as I think myself, it be but a small present, in comparison of your worthiness, state, dignity, and degree, and benefits toward me, yet my good will considered, and the profit that may come to all your subjects by it, it is not so small as my adversaries peradventure will esteem it. For some of them will say, saying that I grant that I have gathered this book of so many writers, that I offer unto you an heap of other men's labours, and nothing of mine own, that I go about to make me friends with other men's travails, and that a book entreating only of trees, herbs, and weeds, and shrubs, is not a meat present for a prince. To whom I answer, that if the honey that the bees gather out of so many flowers of herbs, shrubs, and trees, that are growing in other men's meadows, fields, and closes, may justly be called the bee's honey, and Pliny's book, De Naturali Historia, may be called his book, although he hath gathered it out of so many good writers, whom he vouchsafeth to name in the beginning of his work, so may I call it, that I have learned and gathered of many good authors, not without great labour and pain my book, and namely because I have handled no one author, so as a crafty, covetous, and popish printed handled me of late, who suppressed my name, and leaving out my preface, set out a book, that I set out of wells, and had corrected not without some labour and cost, with his preface, as though the book had been his own. Quoted from Wheatley's Dedication of Books, page 52 onwards. The Tragedies of Gabriel Lasso de la Vega by Gabriel Lasso de la Vega Romancia, 1587 To Philip II, Prince of the Spains, in presuming with audacious temerity to dedicate my unpolished verses to your highness and to submit them to your indulgent patronage, I beseech your highness to overlook their defects and to accept them not as something deserving of criticism, but as something which will take advantage of your favour to render it safe from slanderers. Then indeed shall I feel myself amply and satisfactorily rewarded for my humble effort, and shall be encouraged to serve your highness with other greater efforts. May our Lord grant your highness many long years of prosperity. Madrid, February the 12th, 1587. From the Spanish. The Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer, 1596. To the most high, mighty, and magnificent Empress, renowned for piety, virtue, and all gracious government, Elizabeth, by the grace of God, Queen of England, and France, and Ireland, and of Virginia, defender of the faith, etc., her most humble servant, Edmund Spencer, doth, in all humility, dedicate, present, and consecrate these his labours, to live with the eternity of her fame. La Arawakana by Alonso de Ercia, 1597 
to our Lord, the King, Philip the Second, inasmuch as all my works from the beginning have been dedicated to your majesty, this one must also necessarily enjoy the benefit of your patronage. I beseech your majesty to glance through it, and with great gratitude I dedicate it to you, confident that you will not consider me presumptuous for so doing. May our Lord preserve the Catholic person of your majesty. Antwerp, 1597. From the Spanish. No se tiepsum. This oracle expounded in two elegies, one of humane knowledge, two of the soul of man and the immortality thereof, by Sir John Davis, 1599. Dedication to my most gracious dread sovereign. To that clear majesty which in the north doth like another sun in glory rise, which standeth fixed, yet spreads her heavenly worth, lodestone to hearts, and lodestar to all eyes. Like heaven in all, like the earth in this alone, that though great states by her support do stand, yet she herself supported is of none, but by the finger of the Almighty's hand. To the divinest and the richest mind, both by art's purchase and by nature's dowry, that ever was from heaven to earth confined, to show the utmost of a creature's power. To that great spirit, which doth great kingdoms move, the sacred spring whence right and honour streams, distilling virtue, shedding peace and love, in every place as Cynthia sheds her beams. I offer up some sparkles of that fire, whereby we reason live and move and be, these sparkles by nature evermore aspire, which makes them to so high an highness flee. Fair soul, since to the fairest body knit, you give such lively life, such quickening power, such sweet celestial influences to it, and keeps it still in youth's immortal flower. As where the sun is present all the year, and never doth retire his golden ray, needs must the spring be everlasting there, and every season like the month of May. O oh, many, many years may you remain, a happy angel to this happy land, Long, long may you on earth our empress reign, ere you in heaven a glorious angel stand. Stay long, sweet spirit, ere thou to heaven depart, which makes each place a heaven wherein thou art. Her Majesty's least and unworthiest subject, Davies. Davies celebrated Elizabeth still more fervently in his Hymns of Astria in acrostic verse. The Amorous Songs, Sonnets and Elegies of Mr. Alexander Craig, Scotto-Britann, 1606 To the most godly, virtuous, beautiful, and accomplished princess, meritoriously dignified with all the titles, religion, virtue, honour, beauty, can receive, challenge, afford, or deserve, Anna, by divine providence of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, Queen, Alexander Craig wisheth all health, wealth, and royal felicity. In the dedication that follows, Craig refers in the most deprecating terms to the merits of his poems, saved from destruction only by the grace of their royal godmother. I am bold, divine lady, to borrow thy blessed name, to beautify my blotted book, 
Happy beyond the measure of my merit shall I be if I can purchase this portion of your princely approbation as to accept and entertain these trivial toys where your grace shall smell flowers to refresh, herbs to cure, and weeds to be avoided in the lowest degree of least favour. But howsoever, wishing your highness as many happy years as there are words in my verses, some twenty thousand, and verses in my worthless volume, I am your majesty's most obsequious orator, Alexander Craig. Craig, one of the many Scotchmen, who followed their royal master south in the hope of preferment, received in 1605 a pension, on which he afterwards retired to Scotland. To quote from David Lang's introduction to the Hunterian Club edition of Craig's works, in this volume of 1606, besides the dedication to the Queen, he has an epistle general to Idea, Cynthia, Lithocardia, Carla, Erantina, Laius, Pandora, Penelope, to all of whom he also adds several epistles and several sonnets, and his reputation would not have suffered had several of them been suppressed. He exhibits a want of all delicacy or propriety in having preserved and swelled out the volume, inscribed and presented to Her Majesty, with verses such as those which he addressed to the inconstant and lascivious Lais. But he evidently had an overweening conceit of his own verses. Jerusalem Conquered by Lope Felix de Vega Carpio, Barcelona, 1609 To the Lord, the King, if among the titles of your majesty there shines more resplendently that of King of Jerusalem, Emperor of the Eastern and Antarctic Indies, it is justly due to dedicate to you the history of their conquest by the most fortunate kings, Richard and Alfonso VIII, which was the first action by which your majesty took this title, since you are descended by the line of England from the renowned Queen Leonore, daughter of Richard, and mother of Alfonso, grandfather of St. Fernando, who won Seville. Will your majesty receive this humble tribute, so unequal to your merits, from one who would like to offer more worlds than you have kingdoms? May God preserve your majesty. Lope Felix de Vega Carpio from the Spanish. Mask of Queens, celebrated from the House of Fame by the Queen of Great Britain with her ladies at Whitehall by Ben Jonson, 1609. To the glory of our own and grief of other nations, my Lord Henry, Prince of Great Britain, etc. A long dedication addressed to the Prince follows, in which Jonson says, among other things, both your virtue and your form did deserve your fortune. The one claimed that you should be born a prince, the other makes that you do become it. Your favour to letters and these gentler studies that go under the title of humanity is not the least honour of your wreath. Poetry, my lord, is not born with every man, nor every day, and in her general right it is now my minute to thank your highness, who not only do honour her with your care, but are curious to examine her with your eye, and inquire into her beauties and strengths. If my fate, most excellent prince, and only delicacy of mankind, shall reserve me to the age of your actions, whether in the camp or in the council chamber, that I may write at nights the deeds of your days, I will then labour to bring forth some works as worthy of your fame, as my ambition therein is of your pardon." By the most true admirer of your highness's virtues, 
and most hearty celebrator of them, Ben Jonson. Fate did not allow Jonson to celebrate the deeds of Prince Henry, who died in 1613. The Bible, 1611. To James I, to the most high and mighty Prince James, by the grace of God, King of Great Britain, France and Ireland, Defender of the Faith, etc., the translators of the Bible wish grace, mercy and peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Great and manifold were the blessings, most dread sovereign, which Almighty God, the Father of all mercies, bestowed upon us the people of England, when first he sent your Majesty's royal person to rule and reign over us. Great praise is given to the King, and the translators do not overlook themselves. So that if, on the one side, we shall be traduced by the popish persons at home or abroad, or if, on the other side, we shall be maligned by self-conceited brethren, who run their own way and give liking unto nothing but what is framed by themselves, and hammered on their anvil, we may rest secure, supported within by the truth and innocency of a good conscience, having walked the ways of simplicity and integrity as before the Lord, and sustained without by the powerful protection of your Majesty's grace and favour, which will ever give countenance to honest and Christian endeavours against bitter censures and uncharitable imputations. The Lord of heaven and earth bless your Majesty with many and happy days, that as his heavenly hand hath enriched your Highness with many singular and extraordinary graces, so you may be the wonder of the world in this latter age for happiness and true felicity, to the honour of that great God and the good of his Church, through Jesus Christ our Lord and only Saviour. Polly Albion by Michael Drayton 1612 To the Prince of Wales, hopeful here of the kingdoms of this great Britain, this first part of my intended poem I consecrate to your Highness. My soul which hath seen the extremity of time and fortune cannot yet despair. The influence of so glorious and fortunate a star may also reflect upon me, which have power to give me new life, or leave me to die more willingly and contented etc. The most humbly devoted Michael Drayton. In the dedication of the second part, 1622, to Prince Charles, Drayton refers to the princely bounty of the late Prince Henry. In the first part there is a portrait of the prince, with these lines opposite. Britain, behold here portrayed to thy sight, Henry, thy best hope and the world's delight, ordained to make thy eight great Henrys nine, who by that virtue in the treble trine, to his own goodness in his being, brings these several glories of the eight English kings. Deep knowledge, greatness, long life, policy, courage, zeal, fortune, awful majesty. He like great Neptune on three seas shall rove, and rule three realms with triple power like Jove, Thus, in soft peace, thus, in tempestuous wars, Till from his foot his fame shall strike the stars. An Exquisite Commentary Upon the Revelation of St. John By Patrick Forbes, of course, London, 1613 
to the most mighty monarch, my most gracious sovereign lord, James, King of Great Britain, France and Ireland, defender of the faith, etc. Grace and peace with all increase and continuance of happy and royal state, from God the Father, in our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, for a token, though poor in my part, yet that gratefully I remember your Highness' princely mind in keeping me an ear against sinistrous delation, and giving so gentle warning of your good pleasure therein, this part of my misreported pains I humbly present unto your Majesty, etc. Patrick Forbes, of course. End of section 4